This is Agents Influence Podcast. It's more than money. The first thing you do is identify what are your exposures. The second thing is match the right coverage. Then you find the best value. If you look at all the articles out there in the media, they're all about how to save money on car insurance. I would think giving a real-life story. Here's a customer who had a claim if they had been with Geico or whomever, it probably would not have been covered. Why aren't we telling that story and telling it at every opportunity we get? As an industry, we are the worst about explaining what we do and why we do it. I'm Jason Cass and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. And in the end, we're going to change an industry. Hey, this is Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. Welcome, you loyal listeners. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast series that's just now starting, and this will be the first one of the podcast called the Veteran Insurance Professional Series, also known as the VIPs. And you know, it's kind of fitting that those that those letters, and I believe that's called an acronym, those kind of go together when we're talking about veteran insurance professionals as being VIPs because they laid the road that we walk now. And I want to talk more about that. I do want to also say that for this veteran insurance professional series is going to be sponsored by Rocket Referrals. They're somebody that I use in my agency. I have been after them for a long time telling them that I want, to be, I want them to be part of Agents Influence because I believe they have a product that can instantly help you and I absolutely love it in my agency. I've been using it for four years. A lot of the agents on the mastermind now are using it and they're telling us about all the great things. So I wanted you to know about it, loyal listeners. That's Rocket Referrals. But for this series of the Veteran Insurance Professional Series, I'm going to be bringing on the founder and CEO of insurancecommentary.com, Mr. Bill Wilson. Now, I'm going to tell you a lot about Bill, and I'm actually going to let him tell you a lot about himself. And there's a reason why you're going to notice out there, listeners, that I brought him on first. Um, he's a person that I really respect and uh, uh, somebody that I, I'm, I'm jealous of the insurance knowledge that he has as a veteran insurance professional in this industry, and he's given a lot of his time. But before I bring him on, I want to take a couple seconds and explain something. The Veteran Insurance Professional Series is important to me. About a year and a half ago, I, I, I brought this up on a podcast, and I actually got a little feedback that, hey, maybe I should do a veteran, um, it was a veteran agent series. That's what I had mentioned on the podcast. And then about three or four months ago, I actually happened to mention it on the podcast again when I was doing a young agent series. You guys may have remembered that. And I got a little bit more feedback saying from young agents saying, I would love to hear what veteran insurance agents have to say, Jason. And so I said, okay, okay. So I started compiling a list. I got so many lists out here, loyal listeners, so many lists of things I'm trying to still bring to you. But I'm glad I didn't do this a year and a half ago. I'm glad I did it now. And that's why sometimes it takes a little bit of time to, you know, let this stuff just kind of stew around so that we can create a fabulous tasty meal just for you. And here is the first dish of the Veteran Insurance Professional Series, Mr. Bill Wilson. Bill, welcome to Agents Influence Podcast. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes, yes. Long overdue, Bill. Um, I, I, I'm, I followed you for a while. You kind of heard the opening. Uh, you're someone that I respect in the industry, and I was delighted when you had accepted the invitation to come on to the podcast. Really, really appreciate it, Bill. Well, thanks. Bill, where do you live? I live uh, just outside Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, uh, out by uh, south of it in Franklin, or where about? No, I'm I'm north of it. I probably your listeners know Steve Anderson. Steve is is uh, about thirty minutes south of Nashville. I'm about thirty minutes north of Nashville. Okay, okay. I've always said, and the loyal listeners heard me say this enough. If I ever one of my top three places to live in America, if I could choose. Probably one of them would be Franklin, uh, Tennessee, and I mean that. I absolutely love that place. I, I just I've been there. I stop through there when we're on our way to Florida all the time. I the shops. It's just a nice newer area. Love that place. What's the name of your city? Because I, I drive through there a lot. It's I live in uh, Gallatin. Gallatin. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I, okay, I know exactly where that is. Actually. All right. Well, getting on with this, Bill. Uh, Bill, tell us. 
Uh, well, hold on. First, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, Bill, are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? I am an iPhone user. I, iPhone, iPads, everything except uh, laptops. I'm a Dell laptop user, but iPhone phone. You still use the Dell, huh? I do. Well, that's fantastic. I've, I, I could be wrong, but for some reason I've seen a couple laptops of theirs lately more than I have in the past. I don't know if maybe they're making a comeback or something, but that's interesting that you say you do you have a uh, Dell as well. Okay. Well, I like my I like my laptops like I like my insurance cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, that's not true. I know that's not true because uh, you're the you're the farthest thing from from telling somebody or requesting the cheapest insurance. So that is the, that's something we're going to talk about. Bill, uh, what is a lot the last app that you've downloaded for business, personal life, whatever it could possibly be? Uh, the the last one I downloaded was this. This weekend, I downloaded. I don't know if you if you fam, uh, you're familiar with the old uh, arcade game Galaga. Galaga? No, no, I'm not actually. Man, it sounds familiar. It's kind of like Galaxian. I mean, this we're talking the '80s here, but uh, they they have a uh, a phone app for it now. So I, I downloaded it. I at, at one time I held the the machine record at a Bennigan's in Nash in Nashville for Galaga. I. I one one evening, it was a quarter machine. I I put twenty five dollars worth of quarters till I set the record on the Galaga machine. I went back there like three years later, and I still had the record. So uh, I don't know if I still have it. It's like the Seinfeld episode with George when he has the Frogger record on that Frogger machine. Uh, I had the Galaga record. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute, Bill. You understand how special that is? I mean, how many of you loyal listeners out there have ever been that number one person in there on the machine, especially in a little bit Bennigan's in Tennessee, you know? And, yeah. and you were that person, Bill. I always wanted to be that person. As kids, you always, you know, you were always trying to get another couple dollars or five dollars out of mom to try and, and to try and get to the top of that. So you were. That's cool. Um, and so now you have that as an app on your phone. Yeah, I need I need to make sure that that now that you reminded me that that record goes on my tombstone. So I I won't have much to put on there, but you know, number one Gallica machine scorer, whatever. <laughs> that means a lot, Bill. That's right. You're right about that. Um, but yeah, is that game even around anymore? Have you even seen that game besides your iPhone? Is is that? I mean, that's back oh, in the I, '80s, right? Yeah, I don't. I, no, I don't. I don't see arcade games. You used to. Used to everywhere you went. Right. You went to Pizza Hut. There were there was a Pac Man game in the in the waiting area for people to play, but you don't see that anymore. Absolutely, the the, the food at Pizza Hut was never good. It's the fact you wanted to go there so you get a couple dollars out of mom and dad and play the arcades. I got you there. That's exactly yeah. how it was. Bill, take us back to uh, when you were a kid, when you're in college, whenever, and bring us forward to let us know who you are. Well, I was uh, in, in high school. I, I got offered a scholarship uh, to Illinois Institute of Technology. I made my major. I was an engineering major, and it and University of Maryland at the time were the only schools that offered offered four year degrees in fire protection engineering. And it was a a scholarship through the Western Actuarial Bureau, which was an ISO predecessor. I went to college in '69. Uh, ISO was formed in 1971 from all of these regional and state rating and inspection bureaus. So they uh, that was kind of the fast track with ISO uh, to go to Illinois Tech and then move up through the ranks nationally. So I graduated from college in 1973 with an engineering degree. I did uh, a lot of HPR type work, highly protected risk, factory mutual type stuff, and uh, did that for several years, got into public fire protection where I set the, the, the town class or the protection class of cities, did that for about five years, got into management at ISO, did that for, I guess, about six or eight years, and uh, but I always wanted to be in education. Until I got the uh, scholarship, my plan was to go to, uh, to college in Tennessee and become a high school teacher, math, science, something like that. So I, I always wanted to teach, so when the opportunity came along, the, the big eye of Tennessee, the insurers of Tennessee, made me a job offer, and I made the move from ISO, moved out of management into uh, insurance education, and uh, did that at uh, the big eye of Tennessee for 11 years, 
Then the internet came along, and I had an idea for a, a virtual university to take insurance education online and pitched the idea to uh, Jeff Yates, who was the Big Eye CEO at the time, and Chris Amrine, who headed up their education nationally. And they bought into it, and I made the move in 1999, and I spent 17 years uh, doing the virtual university thing until I retired from the Big Eye in December and started my insurance uh, commentary.com website. So that, that brings me up from 1969 to today. There were a lot of uh, discos and stuff that I that came along in between there that I didn't mention, but uh, <laughs> I'm waiting on the statute of limitations to run out of that. Sounds smart. Sounds smart. So, so let me let's go back up here. So, you uh, quite an impressive uh, resume of where you've worked. Public service uh, protection classes. Uh, that is something that uh, I would love to. Uh, boy, that's a tough part of our industry, especially. In the area we are being in very rural with the way protection classes are done in certain areas just doesn't make sense. Uh, how long did you work there? I did I did that for five years and I loved every minute of it. I worked with uh, with municipalities all over Tennessee and then some, uh, we had a municipal survey team that did the big cities. Like we'd spend three weeks in New Orleans, New Orleans evaluating their fire defenses, working with the fire department, with the, the water works, doing flow testing around the city, uh, uh, evaluating their codes enforcement and that kind of thing. So just the, particularly in the fire service, it's a different breed of people. They're, they're like military. They're, they are gung-ho. I've never met a fireman that didn't love what he or she did. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that job. And I, I it, it enabled me to visit virtually every city in Tennessee. I've been to uh, from Frog Jump to Skullbone, Tennessee, looking at volunteer fire departments. Frog Jump to Skullbum? Skullbone. Skullbone. Yeah, big big municipalities. The Frog Jump has a sign that says "Welcome to Frog Jump," and when you drive past it, you look back and it says, "You know, thanks for visiting Frog Jump." <laughs> I love that. I love that. I got you. It's a frog jump and skull bone. Wow, interesting. Uh, all of us states always have our unique town names, and uh, I guess there's two of them there for Tennessee. Um, yeah. You know, the, prote the, the protection classes for America, I wish they would simplify that. You know, another thing, Bill, I mean, I don't, even, I don't this is not what I was going to talk about, but you, you mentioned <laughs> that you did this. It's one of the toughest things, and I wish insurance companies, if there's executives, there's programmers out there listening, why in the world do you just not give us the information up front? And even the information, you wouldn't believe, Tom, Bill, how many times we quote with a company. The company tells us what the protection class is, and then you issue the policy, and they come back and say, well, no, it's not that. It's this or this. The rate goes up, goes down. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that it's changing all off something that the company told us. And then we have companies who don't tell us, and they require us to look it up. And then they send an inspector out there to then look at the property, and then the inspector mentions that it's in the wrong protection protection class and they call back us and they want to figure this out and we got to do all this extra work. I think protection classes with today's technology should be a very simple, straightforward thing and it's just not. If you live in the big city, I don't know if this is a problem for you or not, but in the rural areas, it's a nightmare, Bill. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it's... Um it's hard to explain because the you could you could have two fire departments that seem on the surface to be identical. I mean, if you look at the the num the manpower, the the average number of responders, you're talking about a volunteer department and things like that. But unless you actually see them at work, you you don't know. I I can tell you, I did uh, under NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association standards, for example, an engine company. Ideal Manning is supposed to be six people, at least it was when I did it. And I did, uh, I surveyed the city of Oak Ridge, Tennessee. They ran three-man squads, and we, we did tests from the NFPA on arriving on the scene, hooking up to fire hydrants, getting a, a stream of water at a certain point and distance, and all these timed exercises. What they did was three with three men was absolutely amazing compared to what the average fire department would do with six men. So uh, there's no way to know that just looking at pure data. You'd have to look and see exactly how they did it. I mean, this this was the most impressive fire department I ever looked at. 
and they had a very good public protection rating. If you looked at raw data, they would probably be a six, seven, eight, somewhere in that area, but they were a two or a three just because of their ability to deliver. And there's just no easy way to do that. And you're talking about, you know, cumulatively for all the homes, businesses, et cetera, millions of dollars at stake in fire insurance or, or premiums. So uh, there, there's a, a, a rhyme to the reason on why you look at things at that level. But uh, I, I see, that, you know, the point you're making, we're getting away from that kind of, kind of thing with the industry of the day with data analytics and predictive modeling and all that, where we're doing things quick and easy. And uh, that's kind of been the direction of the industry ever since class rating was introduced. And then you split hairs on that bill, and now you have insurance companies that come out with their own protection classes. Now, let me say own, but they split what ISO says, or maybe ISO is splitting them more, but we can have an A, or I mean an 8Y, or an 8Z, you know? And so now it's like, well, I didn't even know it was an 8, and now I've got to know if it's an X or a Z, or whatever it is. Now, I have to admit, I don't do a lot of rating today, but my assistant sometimes will tell me why something changed, and I'm like, what do you mean there's a 7X? I didn't know that, you know? I mean, how are we supposed to know that uh, other than because it's not every company that does it and every company uses their own. I just think there should be a little bit of order to it. And uh, But I do understand it is, I've talked with a bunch of loss risk guys that I go out with when I'm inspecting some of my properties every once in a while and I talk to them about it and uh, they basically said the same thing you did, Bill. So, uh, man, we need to put together some committee or something. That would be a tough one to tackle, though. I do agree with that. Yeah, I don't, you know, the, co- the companies that, that deviate, I don't know that they, they do it for, on the basis of any real risk analysis. It's probably more a competitive thing. They're trying to get an edge on somebody else, and maybe okay. statistically their data indicates that. But my, my guess is it's probably simply a, a competitive thing, and, and it's not something they have to do, but... For whatever reason, they do it. That makes sense. That makes sense. I could see that. And it is a competitive world out there. You got to gain every uh, every inch you can. And whether you're an insurance company, insurance agent, doesn't really matter at all. Heck, you're a public speaker and writer and consultant, and uh, there's you've got to have a competitive edge. You know, I mean, it's it's a tough world out there today. Which keep yeah. in mind, if anybody does ever want to hear from Bill, Bill does do speaking and he does do some consulting. So if you ever need to reach out to him, uh, you can find him at the contact of uh, insurancecommentary.com forward slash contact. Just so you guys know, just so you guys know out there. So Bill. Um, I love the fact of your teacher. Where I really got to know you a little bit was, uh, well, not a little bit, it's where I got to know you, was through the virtual university through the big eye. Um, and I think, yeah, let me see if my memory serves me correct, that was about 04, 05, 06 when, when the, that really got unveiled. I want to say 05, 06, you know? Uh, well, it was a little earlier than that. I, I started working on it in, in 1999, Whoa. and I think, I think the official launch because uh, it took a while to, to you know generate content, but I think uh, 2001, uh, a space odyssey was when we when we actually launched the thing and did a press release and all that. But I had my first newsletter had 34 subscribers, <laughs> and that was in 1999. And then uh, when when we officially launched, uh, well, not officially, because the within about three months, I started really going after newsletter subscribers. We had 134 in the, the first official newsletter that I ever sent out, and then it, it went up to, I don't know, 15 or 16,000 ultimately. Wow, fantastic. And, and the virtual university was a way that um, I know you could you could try to look up coverages and stuff, but one of the things that I had used it for actually early in my career was was I had a situation, and I can't remember what the situation was, but I have a claim situation that I didn't think was being handled correctly. And so I could go there and I could just ask that question. And within, I don't know, 24, 48, 72 hours, I would get responses from uh, people like yourself who were telling me their thoughts and their um, opinion of what had happened. Is that still around? Oh, yeah. It's the, the Ask an Expert service. It's probably what the the virtual university is best known for. And we've We've gotten, uh, I don't know exactly, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm thinking we probably handled, when I was there, somewhere between fifty and 100,000 questions, most of them, or many of them anyway, involving uh, initially denied claims, and we had a pretty good track record if we believe that the uh, adjuster was in error or that there was a, another reasonable interpretation of coverage. 
we had a pretty good success rate to the credit of the adjuster of getting them to recognize that and and change their mind. So it that that service is still around and that still have I, I think 40 something volunteer faculty members from all over the country. I did one time I did a I don't know if you're familiar with the name Don Malecki, but that's uh, <clears throat> Don was probably the most coverage knowledgeable person in the country that I that I knew of. My website, if you scroll to the bottom of any page, you'll find a dedication to the the memory and the legacy of Don Malecki, passed away a couple of years ago. But I added Don as a faculty member, and the first question he responded to, he wrote about three typewritten pages. Uh, wow. in his response, citing court cases and stuff. And I finally had to tell him that uh, Don at that time charged, I think, about $700 an hour for his <laughs> consulting and expert witness service. So I I told the agent who asked the question if I took, uh, took uh, Don's time uh, and the time of the other people that responded, typically you would get six to a dozen responses to a question, and I would send all the responses cumulatively to the, the agent I told the agent that uh, the question that we ended up getting a claim paid on would probably have cost him somewhere around $6,000 if he had to pay for all the time of the people that responded to that question. Wow. Wow. I am on your website, and I am looking at it, and it's a nice dedication there. You, uh, This must have been a very special person to you, Bill, and that's uh, that's cool. Don is, a, Don is a legend to us old-timers. He is... Uh, he is the uh, the insurance coverage guy that we all aspire to be. You know what? There's a lot of loyal listeners listening to this right now that you just put big smiles on their face, Bill, because it's probably a man they probably haven't thought about or they think about quite often, and uh, you just brought that to their, their mind. And that's why we're doing this, because you guys are. Bill, you, Don, It's that's why you guys are the VIPs of the industry. Um, Bill, let's take a short second, because I think there's something that the listeners want to hear about. Loyal listeners, check this out. I think you're going to like this. Hey loyal listeners, I was in the mastermind the other day listening um, to a conversation some agents were having about rocket referrals and how to utilize it. And one thing that I had to remind my staff that I didn't even think about was online reviews. I mean, literally rocket referrals has a system and an algorithm to get you online reviews on Facebook and on Google. And what was amazing when I told my staff that they looked at me and said, Jason, how do you think we get the ones we have now? So Bill, getting right back into this, it's there are a bunch of VIPs in this industry and you are one of them. And I think that it's a very important that we realize as loyal listeners that, um, let's, let's put it this way, I think sometimes the young agent out there deals with their um, agency owner or maybe older, uh, their older maybe, uh, and I don't want to say older, their more veteran uh, marketing rep or more veteran insurance executives that may run into at conferences. And I think that there is a notion that they don't understand what I do. This is what the young agent is thinking. They don't understand what I do. They don't understand the world that, that I live in and it's a different sales world and it's a world full of terrorists and murderers and, and celebrities and it's just different than what they were in. And, and you know, Bill, I have to say that I think that one of the reasons why I was successful early, and that's not me saying that, I guess that's other people, I'm saying that because I was 31 years old and I was in an agency where I was the youngest producer and the second youngest producer was about 63 and there were seven other producers that were that were uh, more veteran than him. And so what I did is, is I happened to learn in an environment where I was surrounded with so much wisdom, it was ridiculous. And I believe that that was actually the catalyst to helping me understand who my consumer was today. These, uh, these gentlemen took me aside and explained to me the importance of niching. They, tell, they showed me how to be an expert in my field right off the bat. And I realized something. Um, I, I, I took it so seriously, Bill, that I became a member of the local Elks here of my, uh, in Centralia. And, and what's amazing about that and why that has any reference to this is there's not a lot of young people that go to the Elks in Centralia. And, and I mean, really, it's, I mean, probably less than two to 5%, I mean, of them uh, are people that are probably, I would say, 55, 60 years or younger. Seriously, it's just kind of a veteran place for them to go. And I realized at a young age in this industry that that was a place that could teach me a lot about life 
because of the people that are around there. And I felt as if when I went into my agency, I could learn then about business from the wisdom of those veteran agents that were in there. And so to all the young agents out there, I want you to know that why this is an important special time in the history of our industry is, is never before have we had it to where we have so much wisdom but yet so much newness in the world that allows us to actually relate to each other. And I think as agents and sometimes as young insurance professionals, we look at it the, the opposite way as to that wisdom can't help me. Actually, that wisdom will help you help them. And then I think that's when we have a good situation going on there, Bill. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart because I do feel as if veteran insurance agents, I was hired by Mike Beard, who's one of my n number one mentors today. He's a veteran insurance professional. I, I think, uh, what do you think about that, Bill? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Uh, any words of wisdom on that? Well, you know, you, know it's, you, you made me think yesterday. I was watching the network news, and they had a guy uh, who was the oldest surviving Pearl Harbor uh, sailor. I think he's 105 years old. And, uh, and it reminded me of, of what we can learn. These guys, World War II veterans, are just about gone. And the perspective that people that live back there can give, you know, after after the election, when Donald Trump was elected, it, it was like pandemonium. People were were just hysterical with, with fear and anxiety and all that. And I, I was reminded, uh, Paul Harvey, the radio commentator, had a, had a quote one time that said, uh, in times like these, it's always good to remember that there have always been times like these. And I, I thought back that with, with, the, with the uncertainty that that election brought in the minds of a lot of people that, uh, could you imagine living in World War II when the whole world is at war and early on when you don't know what the outcome is going to be? And, and uh, so the, these are folks that we need to tap into their collective memories and experiences so that we can we can learn from them. So uh, I did that with Don Malecki and some of the, the old timers that were mentors to me, and it's a good thing to do today. I've been lucky. My, my son is a millennial. He's 27, and he works for a, a very large uh, medical company, I guess you could call him, and he's a data scientist. So I, that's we have all our data analytic discussions about that kind of stuff, and and uh, I, I have been presenting the company he works for about uh, three or four times a year. They bring in a new batch of kids right out of college. And I go over and I, I do a, uh, a seminar for them on time management. And I do a, uh, just started doing a seminar on presentation skills. They have two weeks of orientation. And I do it pro bono. It's just great to meet these young people and, and talk about, things that uh, that are, are different between us and things that, that we have in common. So uh, it's been a great learning experience for me from my perspective. And that's, that's what guys like yourself, the younger generation, can bring to the old timers. Wow, very well said. That, I like that. That, that is, uh, I think it is. And I just, I think it's wisdom. And I think that, uh, I think yeah, there's no other way to say it. I, I just think it's the wisdom um, that can be passed down that can dramatically, dramatically. It's the reason why we go into networking events. We go to networking events because we are able to share our experiences with others who have shared those same experiences. And if that person that you're speaking with in networking has has been in your industry or in business or what or been a father, whatever you're trying to soak that wisdom from for a longer time than you, then they've experienced more experiences than you. And I think that is the juice of what you've got to pull out of that relationship because they're looking for those experiences in you the person that you're networking with so that they can pull that from. That's how we help each other. And uh, I think there's a different perspective out there that we need to look when it comes to the veteran insurance agent. Yeah, they may not understand social media or understand digital marketing or understand um, the consumer niche you're specifically trying to go at, but I guess you bet you a million dollars they have a ton more experiences you think that relate to things that are very similar to that that it can help you. Um, the, um, Bill, let me change this a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I keep track of, and uh, and I have to admit, I have not read it in probably the last three, four, five months, but there's an article or there's a little segment inside of the IA Independent Agent Magazine, and it's got, uh, man, I can't remember what it's called. Like one side of the column, it asks a question, and one side of the column gives an, their opinion as to why they agree, and the other side gives an opinion as to why they disagree. Do you know that, what that column that I'm talking about? Yeah, I, don't, I 
like you, I can't remember the title. It's kind of like Point Counterpoint. Yes, I cannot remember either. I should have looked that up. It's in my notes, and I didn't pull that up as something to look about. But I read one of yours, and one of yours, and I could be wrong, Bill. If I'm wrong about this, you tell me, but I think that I'm right. It talked about a GEICO policy, and it talked about some things inside of a GEICO policy that might be good or be bad. Do you care about sharing those um, on, on the air? Because I, I, off the top of your mind, do you remember that article that you wrote? Yeah, it's um, – in fact, there it, it, for those that, that uh, visit the virtual university, if you're, if you're a Big Eye member, it's, most of it's password protected, but there are areas that aren't, and one of those – if you go to the homepage of the, of the virtual university at independentagent.com and go to the homepage, on the left-hand side, there's a menu, and one of the items says Featured Resources. If you click that, then the drop-down menu, one of the items is uh, Insurance is Not a Commodity. And there it in is. That, in that area, you will find a bunch of stuff that I've written and links to other articles on the Internet from other sources. And, and one... The one article that I wrote for the, the magazine, they called Price Check, and it uh, enumerated, I, I think I gave three or four or five, uh, I wouldn't call them lengthy, but a couple of paragraph examples of cl real claims that uh, were not covered or denied under a GEICO or those types of policies, and, and would have been covered under plain old vanilla ISO personal auto policy, and then... After I gave those examples, I had there was a, a kind of a sidebar where I had item after item, just a phrase that where there were differences in marketplace coverages between the ISO standard personal auto policy and a lot of the ones that are in the marketplace. And the differences sometimes are are dramatic and potentially catastrophic. There are policies in the marketplace that only cover the the vehicles that you own, provide no non-owned coverage. Some will cover non-owned vehicles unless you're using them on business. Some won't cover business use of pickup trucks. And just, I'd listed a, a, probably a dozen or more variations that you find for uh, policies in the marketplace. And it's the danger, it's one of the dangers of comparative rating. Uh, I mean, I remember when comparative rating came on and it was a, a huge productivity boon but sometimes you become overly dependent. When I when I moved my personal lines account, in fact, my, my CSR gave me uh, three other quotes, and I said, well, what do their policies look like? So I ended up, it was a, took an act of Congress just to get an advanced look at their policy forms, and I, I realized that most consumers, virtually all consumers, aren't going to do something like that, but there were differences between those policies that were that were material and in some cases accounted for the difference in price. So if something was uh, 110 dollars more, there may very well be a good reason why it's 110 dollars or more. So that that was the brunt of the article. I wanted to point out that uh, you really can't tell anything until you dig down in the policy level and you read all, all the media articles, even in our own industry, but almost uniformly in the consumer media says make sure you're comparing apples to apples when you're shopping your your account and what they mean by that is make sure you're getting the same quote for liability medical payments uninsured motorist physical damage same limits same deductibles and that still doesn't tell you anything because you have to dig into the policy and that's where a good agent who spends their continuing education money on quality education programs and not the cheapest, quickest, fastest way is able to tell you. They they know those products that they're selling and in many cases uh, have a pretty good working knowledge of the competing products and can direct, direct you in the right way. Everybody's exposures are different. I used to have a company car. That alone created an exposure for me that a lot of people wouldn't have. So people that rent cars a lot go on vacations or trips. Uh, there are all kinds of situations where your exposures need to be individually addressed. And it's simply not something you can go online and do at some automated comparative rating site. Because all you're going to get is a list of insurance companies and premiums. You have no idea what kind of policy and claim service is backing that. 
You know, Bill, you just gave me an idea because my, my, anytime I hear stuff like this, I always say to myself, how do I get this out so that other people know this? I mean, at, at the, at the, at the crux of it, it's why I created this podcast, all these great things I would hear, meet great people like yourself. How do I get these people out there in more ways than I can? And I think about this with claims because I'm thinking about the consumer out there who's buying these online policies and, or they're buying them and maybe not, maybe they're not all online. Maybe some of them you can get from an agent, but they're buying these policies all looking for, as you said, apples for apples. Side note, one of my mentors told me one time, if everybody ever says, let's chill, I want to do apples to apples, just tell them we can't do apples to apples because we're not in the fruit business. <laughs> I, I really thought that was funny. He told me that. But anyways, it, it was it was something that I think that's important because these consumers don't know this. And, and, and they just think it is. I don't know if they want to say it's a commodity. Maybe some of them think that or not. And I think you can go back and forth on an argument about that to justifiably make both sides when you use the word commodity. But I do agree with you. They're not the same. And putting them next to each other, doesn't. they, can, they don't look. They may look the same, but they may not be the same. And, and one of the things that you have here in this article, so keep in mind if you go to independentagent.com and then over that first little on the left, first little tab at the top, highlight, go scroll over that, go over to virtual University, and then when you come there on the left side, you're going to see um, featured resources. And click that, and you'll see insurance commodity. Very easy to find, and I love the new website uh, layout that the big eye has. Pretty nice. There's yeah. pretty. There's something pretty cool here. I love what you start this with, though. I think this sums up this article. You said there is hardly anything in the world that some man cannot make a little worse and sell a little cheaper, and the people who consider price only are this man's lawful prey, uh, written by John Ruskin. I think that is awesome. I really, really do. That is that is that uh, uh, en encapsulates everything that we're talking about right now, and that that's awesome. We need people like you, Bill. And I'm thinking to myself as an agent out there, if you're listening to this or an insurance agency owner, what would be great is is to find claim situations that are very eye-opening even to you. If they're eye-opening to you, they're probably eye-opening to your consumer. And you should do some kind of Facebook Live. You should do some kind of little uh, one-minute video where you record yourself and then put it out there on your social sites where you just give one claim. Did you know that there's policies sold out there that can do blah? and it, co it doesn't cover a vehicle, if it's a pickup truck, whatever that claim could be like Bill just said, I think that would be a great way to uh, build trust and build knowledge in your community about how great you are in your agency. That just came to me immediately as Bill was talking this. How do we get that word out? How do we do that? And I think we can use those channels. Bill, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've, I've always advocated, if you look at industry advertising, it is predominantly price-based. When you when you have the the lizard and flow talking about price guns and all that, it's uh, I give credit to uh, to farmers for their uh, you know we know a lot because we've seen a lot of their claims. Mm -hmm. They uh, some of their claims are a little wacky. I'm I'm not sure they they shouldn't have talked to their claims department before they said they were covered. But aside from that, they are focusing on the coverage issue. You know the mayhem guy for Allstate. It's, it's talking about coverage. So I, I take my hat off to those companies. It's something we don't do. When I was with the big eye, I, I, we had a communications department that coordinated interviews with the media, TV, radio, and, and print. And I did hundred, probably hundreds of interviews. And uh, in, one in particular was from the Wall Street Journal, which is a pretty highly respected publication. And they were doing the usual how to save money on insurance. And I kept making the point to the, the reporter that uh, it, it, it's more than money. The first thing you do is identify what are your exposures. The second thing is match the right coverage. Then you find the best value to, that, that addresses those exposures. And I gave, I said, I can give you as many examples of you that, as you want of somebody who went with a low cost had a claim that wasn't covered, but would have been covered if they spent another thirty dollars, fifty dollars, or or whatever. She had no interest in writing about that. And I thought, if you look at all the articles out there in the media, they're all about how to save money on car insurance, and nobody's talking about the importance. I would think giving, like you say, a real life story. Here's here's a customer who had a claim. Uh, we got it paid. If, if they had been with Geico or whomever, it probably would not have been covered. 
you know, why aren't we telling that story and telling it at every opportunity we get on websites, on, on local advertising, etc.? But we, as an industry, we are the worst people about explaining what we do and why we do it. And that's one of the big things that when we talk about the seniors and, and millennials uh, that I have on my agenda is for young folks to make them, and a lot of the startups that, that we read about, the disruptors, making them understand why this industry exists and what we're all about. I think that that historical perspective and the importance of what we do and why we do it is missing from a lot of what I read about these folks. You are right. You're right. Going back to that story that you just said uh, about how the lady was doing an interview on how to get your insurance less, and what you said was is that hey, it's the individual exposures, and they could have bought this for thirty dollars, and she didn't find that um, entertaining. She didn't find that to be newsworthy. But here's what I find ironic about that, Bill. Um, when that claim happens and that person wasn't covered and it could have been $30 just to buy that thing, they'll be sure to do a story on how terrible that agent was or how terrible that insurance company was for not um, uh, giving knowledge to that consumer to understand the differences in their um, in their risks versus other people's risks. Don't you agree? Uh, exactly right. <laughs> that's, yep. what, that's what'll happen. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. Now you talked about something I want to jump back to, but you are right, Bill, but to give to get to be nice. And not nice, but to be to be real, it's very hard to talk about what we do. And I believe in a way that the consumer understands, way that's halfway entertaining to them, meaning that they immediately think that this stuff is dull. What I find amazing is when I sit around with my friends and occasionally we'll talk about something insurance and then I happen to unload something like, hey, did you guys know this? They always find it entertaining. They always say to themselves, like, wow, I did not know that. How come no one's ever told me that? And really, it wasn't a boring thing. So I think there are ways to do it. But it's very hard um, to, to say, how do I talk about this in a fun, entertaining, knowledgeable way? I really do. So I'm with you there. It's something we don't do. We're not good at it. But it's uh, very, very hard to do. You really got to well, think. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one thing that, that I think the farmers commercials do is they mm -hmm. take you know, you've got the, the, the dogs that flood the house and you've got the gopher that steals the engagement ring, which I, I think if farmers looked at their policy, they'd find out that it really doesn't cover that. But I agree with that one. That's another story. A but rodent uh, exclusion. But maybe. anyway, they're, they're taking something that's that's kind of clever and then talking about the insurance perspective. But I, I think I just wrote, I just did a blog post last week on... Uh, on the customer loyalty. Why, why do people stay with agencies for, in my case, I've been with the same agency since 1973, well over 40 years. And one of the reasons is uh, the emotional connection. And I, I don't think we do a very good job. Uh, there, there was a, a, an online ad, wouldn't call it an advertisement, but it was it served that purpose. And I can't remember the company that did it, but it was after one of the, the tornado outbreaks and they interviewed customers who, you know, it was a husband and wife standing in, a, in an empty lot where their home used to be, and they're they're emotional, they're crying, and they were talking about how quick their agent got there, that the company took care of them. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that reaches out no matter what your age is and grabs you by the heart and makes you think about those things other than, you know, dancing gophers and, and so forth. If the idea is to get their attention, that's a way of getting it, and, and, and it makes the point that this is, a, this is a serious business. People's lives are at stake. People could lose almost everything they own. If it's a liability claim and they don't have the assets or the insurance, they could have their wages garnished for the next 20 years. So uh, there's a lot at stake that we don't make clear to people, and we can do that from an emotional appeal standpoint, and we just don't do it. You know, there is a lot at stake. I love that, Bill, because... Um I think that sometimes whenever those incidences happen, I think that's a good time for all you loyal listeners, all you agents, all your people trying to figure out when can we market and how can we market, how do we get that word out, how do we let them know about the things that Bill's talking about right now. We had an earthquake uh, that happened uh, probably about two or three years ago on the west uh, side, or I'm sorry, excuse me, on the east side of Illinois. It was like a 2.4 or 3.2, it was very little. But it was amazing because we got a lot of phone calls that day regarding earthquake insurance. That probably happens to you guys in flood areas or hurricane areas or whatever it could be. 
And I think that's a great time when instances like that happen, not even if it's in your area, but around uh, America, around the world, those are good times to take action on those. Um, I have a, a specific story, and I, it's a long story, but I'm going to make it short. I wrote a podcast on, uh, gosh, I wrote a podcast, I wrote a blog. Um, I sat down, I believe it was March 11th or March 21st, I can't remember, of 2011, there was a terrible thing in Japan that happened, which was that uh, that earthquake that caused a tsunami that then took out the nuclear uh, plants. What a devastating time. And I remember watching that on television on CNN, and I thought to myself, immediately, like, if there was an earthquake, do a lot of people realize that they have a deductible on their earthquake? And so what I did is I grabbed my computer, I wrote a little blog on it, went to Traveler's site, took some of their stuff off their, their page that they had about earthquake. I took their logo, put it in my blog, because I'm going to give them recognition for the fact that they were giving out good insurance information that was simple and understandable. I then made it, I then connected that blog to a Facebook post. When I connected that blog to a Facebook post, um, people would then click on that Facebook post and what it said is, is do you realize that your house may not be fully covered or something like that that I wrote. And in there I explained to them about the 10 to 20 to 15 percent whatever it could be deductible. And it was amazing how many clicks I got on that post. I mean, I had so many clicks on it. At the time, I was new to Facebook, so I was doing it per click. And I don't remember what the cost was. But I remember with me being new in the business, I had to take it down like after two to three days because I was getting so many clicks on it. Now, being me being the person I am, Bill, I decided that later in the year, in September, I decided to run that same ad linked to that same blog article. And it was amazing that I never got one click on the ad. But as opposed to six months ago when the actual devastation was occurring, for those next two to three days, I had a ton of people clicking on that ad. And I yeah. think that that's a way that you can be right there delivering that information, telling your story, telling their story about how they could be, um, um, uh, how, uh, how this could involve them. And uh, I think that that kind of uh, goes right to what you're talking about. And I think it kind of does to the farmers as well. And I think farmers does a very good job on those commercials. I do like you know, them. I was reading yesterday that, uh, you know, when Katrina happened, we, we saw how, how few people had flood insurance. So uh, you'd think we'd learn a lesson from that. Well, the southern Louisiana had some flooding last year. And I was reading yesterday that of the people that had flood damage, 86% of them had no flood insurance. Oh my goodness. Even though Katrina happened and they were they lived through it, saw saw it week after week, you know, as time goes by, your your memory fades and it's something you ha you have to just keep drilling into people over and over and it's probably, you know, your experience is uniform. Years ago, I put together a program on um, how to monitor the solvency of insurance companies using AM Best data. It was a real simple little tool that I put together and uh, I tried to resurrect that uh, with uh, Chris Baran who has an incredible spreadsheet tool that he's developed on that and we were going to do a national uh, webinar on this I think countrywide we had six registrations but if, if, there, <laughs> if there had been a, a major insolvency uh, or like it's happened in the 80s there was a series of insolvencies we probably would have had over a thousand people, but uh, since it wasn't on any anybody's plate at the time, didn't hit their hot button, uh, nobody was interested. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is from General Jimmy Doolittle. He said, "The problem with Americans is that we're we're fixers, not preventers." And uh, that's huh. and the industry wow. we're in that can be that can be fatal. You're darn right about that. That's it. So we're we're what does he say? We're not preventers. We're fixers. We're fixers, not preventers. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we could do a whole conversation about that because that's interesting, but we don't have time. Because yeah. I like what Paul Harvey said, though. You've pulled out some juice in a couple areas there, Bill, that you don't realize. In times like these, there have always been times like these. I really, me and my buddies, they about two or three weeks ago, were talking about, yeah, we think right now is terrible. Could you imagine being living in the middle of the Civil War when we were literally oh. killing and shooting each other? You know, I mean, come on, folks. Let's really look at where we're at right now. I think that's important. You also called out three other little jewels. Um, when you called, uh, when you brought 
brought out Chris Amron and Chris uh, Baran and Steve Anderson because those are three other VIPs for our industry that uh, I don't know if our industry would be the same without them. Uh, Chris Baran, I, I ran into him early, early in my career, same with Chris Amron, and uh, they, they were instrumental in helping me. Just some of those people that I feel as if I was able to build a solid foundation on that I that I now trying to create the best, uh, best thing I can for the industry on. Um, yeah. Anything else you specifically want to say, Bill, before we wrap it up with our uh, readers or leaders, leaders or readers? Uh, no, not really. Other than the, the, I guess the, the main message I'm trying to get out there to to millennials and I guess to everybody in the industry is to is to reflect on why we're here, why the industry's here, and what what job one is for us, and that's to work with American families and businesses to help them identify their risks, their exposures to loss, put together a risk management and or insurance program that addresses those risks. And I, I get really frustrated when I read, you, you may have come across me on LinkedIn or, or uh, Insurance Thought Leadership, some of these websites where I, I can't resist going in after I've read the latest hype and hyperbole of the some of these startups and their their focus makes me wonder if they really have any fundamental understanding of the industry and and a, and a historical perspective because they're they're all talking about fast, cheap, and easy. You know, Lemonade was just uh, they just put out a press release about uh, f uh, paying a claim in three seconds, and uh, and and we're, we're, we're touting their their service and what they were doing and that they had a grand total, I think, of six claims last year. Well, my guess is, uh, you know, State Farm probably does six claims a second. So how do you, <laughs> how, how scalable is what they're doing? Uh, and that's, I guess that's a topic for another day. But I, I read that stuff, and I think nobody's talking about whether there's coverage or not and about helping helping people prevent catastrophic loss or at least severe financial distress. And that's that's why we're here. That should be our entire focus should be on that and secondarily on once you determine all that, then find the best value for it. I agree. I agree. I, 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 I struggle with that because when you talk about fast, cheap, and easy, that's something we don't want to be and something we don't want to do, but that's something unless we inform our customers, that's what they expect. And I think, Bill, there's a lot of young agents out there, maybe veterans as well, but there's a lot of young agents I hear from. How do I meet that demand of my consumer? Now, maybe that consumer may not be yours, I tell them. Maybe if that's what they want is the fast, cheap, and easy, and they want the least expensive thing with the least coverages, maybe that's something you refer out. We have a standard in our agency that we don't write less than 100, 300, and that's our minimum, and we try to definitely go higher than that. So that's something that we've tried to do to weed those people out. But there comes a point in time, Bill, that if we don't tell our story enough, and we don't don't let people know what we do. All of a sudden, that's not going to just be 10, 20 to 30 percent of the end of the of the nation that wants um, the fast, cheap and easy. It's going to be 50, 60 to 70 percent. And, and I think that that's the scare because I say this a lot, but once the first drop of water goes over the cliff, then there's a waterfall because it's just not one drop and it stops. It starts to all pour over. And I think that's the scary part is right now it's easy to say, that's not my customer. I'll take this other 80% who understands insurance and understands the value of it. But what happens as that, that ratio starts to get skewed the other way? That's the thing that I'm worried about, Bill. Yeah, let me let me give you one final a quick example. Go ahead, it, please. Uh, there's a there's an agent uh, in Missouri, Tim Wall. Tim has spent the past few years on our on the Big Eye National Technical Affairs Committee, uh, and and Tim tells the story uh, about people coming in, business owners coming in and wanting him to save them money on insurance, and he says invariably, almost every single time when they leave his office. They're paying more. They move their account or are moving their account, and they're paying more for that because he, he takes a look at their current insurance program, shows them all the holes in it, how he can fix that for very little additional money. I mean, these are these are, are, are six-figure, potentially, uh, exposures that are uncovered, and for, for pennies on the dollar, he can fix that for them. And once he shows them the, the problems they have in their existing insurance program, they understand it and they don't mind paying for what they, they don't even mind paying more than what they're paying right now to plug those holes. And that's, 
you know, that's the way to sell. It, you can sell insurance on a coverage basis, and people that say all they want to hear about is price, well, you don't know how to sell if, if you hear that from a customer and you just let them go because you can't compete on price. It, 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 everything you said is awesome, and, and I agree emphatically. Um, there's Miles Merwin out of uh, Advisors Insurance Agency in South Carolina. He says, if we can keep them on the phone for 20 minutes, he said our closing ratio and success ratio goes up. Now, that doesn't mean they're just jib-jabbering, but he's doing what that gentleman says that you were doing there. Uh, you said there, Bill, is that they're identifying exposures. We're, we're going to slow this down because if they want it fast, cheap, and easy, they're probably not going to be willing to listen to us for the 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes that we need to uh, identify those exposures. And if anybody out there knows Miles Merwin, he's a very, very successful agency. He's got a great culture in his agency, and he's doing a lot of great things. I think a lot of agency model themselves after it. Now, if you're an agent out there or if you're an insurance professional out there, you probably don't know Miles. And if you would want to, you need to check out the Insurance Agent Mastermind because that's where he hangs out a lot telling us how the things he's doing out there. I, I do I do agree with what you're saying though. It, it is very important to educate and I believe that a lot of successful um, insurance agents have come from a teacher's background, Bill. Have you heard that before? Yeah, that, it's, uh, well, one, one of my faculty members at the Big Eye Virtual University was uh, it and still is uh, Mike Edwards, whose background was a, a school teacher. Yep, I, I, they, they, that's what we're, that's what we're supposed to be doing, and I, and I think it, I had somebody tell me that a while back, and I thought to myself, you know, that is right. That's pretty much what I am doing. I'm explaining policies, or explaining coverages, or explaining exposures to people all the time. So, Bill, wrapping this up with leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. Tell us about the last book that you've read or a book that you would recommend to the loyal listeners. Oh, boy. I, I've, uh, are you I a reader, re Bill, first of all? Are you a reader? I, uh, yeah. My, uh, usually at Christmas, my wife gives me 52 books. I keep a list on Amazon. <laughs> so she goes hits all the used bookstores and gets me 52 books. Well, now I, I've gone almost purely electronic, but the... Uh, Normally, I read. I'm simultaneously reading a nonfiction and a fiction one, and the uh, I'm trying to think the the nonfiction one that I just finished was incredible, um, and I can't, I can't. Of course, I can't think of the name of it. It was about it's about uh, Native Americans uh, out west, and I I've. Uh, oh. It's it's got something about the moon in it. That's that's all I can remember. The the, uh, the fiction one that I just read is by John Saul. I I like uh, Dean Koontz and and Stephen King, uh, and it's called The Right Hand of Evil. It's kind of a uh, a, uh, a supernatural type uh, story, and I, I it's my guilty pleasure. Wow. Okay. All right. Well. Uh... That uh, if you get a chance and you find and you find the name of that book, hit me on Skype or hit me on email so that I can uh, get that out in the blog that this uh, podcast goes in. Um, you gotta be honest with you, Bill. I'm looking for a new book. I just read the book Outliers. Finished that up, and uh, I'm looking for one right now. It's amazing how many times I get told all these books to read and I can't ever remember them, and I have to actually go back to the podcast and fast forward to the end so that I can get to my leaders or readers and readers or leaders segment for that. But uh, Bill, I do appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Uh, you've been a, a, a great guest. I told you we'd do this for about 25, 30, 35 minutes unless it was really good and we'd go as long as we needed. And it looks like here we've gone about 56 minutes. So uh, loyal listeners, if you're still on or maybe this is the second or third time you're listening to this today because you're jumping through and just listening on appointments or and maybe you're swimming and you're listening to this. True story, Bill. I have a guy who has told me that uh, every morning when he swims, he listens to the to the uh, podcast. I thought that was in. I didn't even know you could do that. I still don't know right. how he or she does, but uh, yeah. they they claim to do that. So uh, I do appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do for this industry. Um, I don't think that people tell you that enough, Bill. And if they do, I don't think you understand the sincerity of people like yourself who have laid the road and uh, and the. Uh, you, when you came upon this industry, there was only a little path. It was just a little dirt path, you know, probably about three, four, five foot wide, grass on the side. And uh, people like yourself, like Chris Amrain, Chris Baran, Steve Anderson, I could go on and on. Um, you VIPs have, have taken that dirt out and literally laid a nice, wonderful path for us and a road, I should say, for us to follow. And I encourage every young agent out there to start seeing the veteran insurance per professional as, as, as uh, with the wisdom they can give you to help 
cut the learning curve down. I just I think it's it's so vital. And Bill, thanks again for coming on. Jason, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. It was a good conversation. And keep in mind that this is the first series of the Veteran Insurance uh, Series, Veteran Insurance Professionals, also known as the VIPs, which is sponsored by Rocket Referrals. So remember to tell me your thoughts, tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast, and we are out. So why Rocket Referrals? You know why? Because it's software that's easy to use, you don't have any hard setup, they have great tech support, and if you know Tori and Carl, they're two of the best guys in our industry. RocketReferrals.com